Hello everyone, I'm Bree. Welcome to the Chocolate Bar, our lives, our strength, our time. We are continuing to talk to our dope ass strong queer fam. Um, by the time you hear this, pride will be over, but I'm grown and I do what I want. So as far as I'm concerned, it's pride for the rest of the year. All right, so um, I wanted to um, bring this really amazing guest on for you all to hear her story. Um, and so I'm going to let her tell you who she is and what she does. Great. Hi, Brie. Thank you so much. I am super excited to be on the show. I'm Angela Carlberg, and I am a weightlifter out of the D.C. area. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you said that it's pride every day because every day and all day, in addition to representing who I am, um, I'm also pretty unapologetically black. So you can't miss that either. Yeah, soul fist. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Well, welcome, Angela. Um, I'm very excited that we were able to coordinate and just because I am super transparent, y'all, this is the second time we're doing this due to some technical <laughs> difficulties, but as luck would have it and serendipity, um, it's a great opportunity to, to talk about some of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about the first time. So I'm actually kind of happy the way things worked out. Um, but anyway, welcome to the show. And so I guess the first question is, um, did you find Olympic weightlifting or did it find you? Yeah, I, uh, the, I you know, for the second time here in the, <laughs> the second time, I'm still waffling on what came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. Um, but I think for me, at least where I'm at now, weightlifting came and grew out of um, my relationship with CrossFit. Mm -hmm. um, I had started CrossFit about just going on four and a half years ago, mm -hmm. and probably within the first year uh, was reminded of the barbell uh, work that I used to do in terms of squats and cleans when I was a college athlete as a thrower. Mm -hmm. So it became pretty apparent that um, I had some semblance of form and I was mm -hmm. also kind of strong. So I ended up um, being invited to the barbell club associated with my CrossFit gym. So I trained out of um, CrossFit DC. Mm -hmm. Barbell club is a DC weightlifting club. And the, the coach had seen me lifting in a fundraising event for another one of their lifters who was going to the American Open mm -hmm. finals and uh, after the event said, hey, maybe you should really think about trying out and hanging out with uh, our team, come to the dark side. Mm, okay. So yeah, after that, I'd say the, the rest is, is history and I have fully committed to the Olympic weightlifting life and only occasionally CrossFit uh, okay. when the mood strikes. Okay. I got you. I feel you. Um, and so you mentioned that you were a college athlete. Um, and that kind of brings me to my next question. What was your relationship with fitness and sports like growing up? I know, you know, many of us have such different stories for some of us. It was like uh, not even existent. And, you know, we were trying to figure that whole thing out. Other people, you know, had to deal with their weight and some people were athletes. So what what kind of was your story growing up? Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked because I'm working on trying to find the right narrative that really captures um, my story. And I, I tend to feel like 
um, we as women operate in uh, a space where we're told to take up less room mm -hmm. um, and make ourselves smaller. Right. And um, for me, when I was in, when I was younger, I realized that I was never going to be small. So um, I grew up in South Dakota mm -hmm. uh, where they were, it was predominantly white. My family was white. I'm adopted. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, was, I was imported. Uh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but I realized that I was just never going to, I was different, number one. Right. And um, being a person of color and um, having the body that I did, I used sports as a way to try and figure out how I can fit in. So mm -hmm. I moved around from you know basketball to volleyball to softball to track to cheerleading, um, pretty much did it all uh, until everybody else kept growing except for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I shed the basketball and the volleyball and pretty much stuck with um, softball and track and field, realizing that, you know, I'm I'm never going to be a size zero or a size two, and I'm mm -hmm. always going to have super strong, explosive legs. So how can I use my body um, in a way that uh, can I can fully embrace and just right. really be? So strength sports seem to be where it's at. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's awesome. So you mentioned that, um, you know, you grew up in, did you say South Dakota? Yes. South Dakota. Um, and you were adopted and you were um, black with a white family. So clearly there is a lot of, you know, figuring out how to fit in. Right. So do you think that sports are being involved in sports, you know, during that time, you know, helped you sort of feel more confident or how did, how did it kind of affect how you saw yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, it was definitely a safety, right? Um, mm -hmm. because you have, you know, built in friends and, um, you know, built in support systems because you were always with somebody. So mm -hmm. it very much felt like I was able to, you know, hide in the background, just, you know, blend in, be a part of a team. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we were all working together for a common goal. Um, but then I realized, I think it was when I was becoming a little bit more competitive in track and field and stepped out of being a runner and focused slowly on being a thrower that it became highly like individual. Right. Um, and I think at that point, um, I realized, ooh, I am going to be like, I'm competing against myself at right. that point, um, especially in college when um, I did get a track scholarship or a partial track scholarship. Mm -hmm. And the women that I was throwing against, they, you know, they were six feet tall and 200 right. pounds. And then here's me. So um, just really learning how to sit in and own um, my, in this case, queerness, right? Queer is different. Mm -hmm. um, and to embrace it in a way that uh, was fulfilling. And sports did that for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. And so, again, because, you know, and I don't know, maybe there is a very large black community in South Dakota. Um, I, I, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> but um, I'm curious. <laughs> You're like, actually not. I'm curious about how all of your intersections, right? Um, how did that impact your experiences growing up? I'm, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, that it was 
I guess, easy or, or seamless, but like, you know, being black, being a woman and, you know, in, a, in an all white environment, I would imagine most of the time. And then, you know, add on to that, the queerness part, like what did that look like for you growing up? Um, I very much felt kind of like an observer mm -hmm. uh, for all of those things, um, especially since, you know, I, I'm coming from a place of difference. So I'm watching the only examples I have are the things I know how not to be. Right. Right. Um, so if whiteness or being white is my only example of how to be in certain spaces, then I would assume that, OK, black, I guess, is the opposite. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so that became I mean. I think that in trying to navigate what is and what isn't, um, I think I definitely sat in the space of um, ambiguity and right. not being nearly as um, steadfast in my identity when I was growing up. Um, but that definitely changed when I went to college mm -hmm. um, and under started to understand and obviously be um, my networks and friends circles became uh, progressively blacker. Right, right. Um, and it, I think it was in those moments, especially taking uh, the gender studies classes mm -hmm. that I was really enjoying, was learning that not only um, is gender a performative act, right? Um, right. Like, like RuPaul says, right, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I started to think, well, huh, I wonder if you know, blackness is something that is performative as well. Right. Um, and tried to figure out, okay, you know, what are what are we doing in terms of code switching and mm -hmm. how is that tap dance related? And that's when I really started to um, untangle how I existed at the intersections. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, because I was going to ask you, you know, I think about myself growing up and, you know, so many of the things that I you know, gleaned about blackness weren't even necessarily things that my parents, I mean, then they said a lot of, you know, girl, you black. So, I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there was that, but even outside of that, so much of what I gleaned was just from experience it, being in the middle of it and experience it. Right. So mm -hmm. how, how did you even figure out like what blackness was. I mean, were was your family supported to the extent that they made sure to expose you to that? Or did they, you know, not see color? Or like, how did you even get to the point of getting to college to be like, hey, you know what? I want to, you know, sort of move my circle around or I'm going to gravitate towards this. Mm hmm. Um, wow, that's that's a tough one. How did you know, basically? Um, I I I mean, similar to, to your story, I mean, a lot of what we know about ourselves at the outset is implied, right? Right. Like, what can I glean from, you know, that my parents just said, you be black, right? Um, mm -hmm. Whereas mine were just like, well, you know, we love you regardless. And they did right. you know, like right. from, you know, a position of colorblindness, which obviously opened me up to a whole lot of opportunities in terms of um, not having some sort of, you know, self or superimposed sort of barriers mm -hmm. um, to think that, you know, my race was going to be something that was prohibitive mm -hmm. um, and pursuing those pursuing opportunities. Right. Um, but it it did start to. Uh, what's the word? I think 
in college understanding like the diversity of experiences among mm-hmm. people of color mm-hmm. was when I started to realize and come into my own like okay there's not just one way to be black right um, or one way to be a woman um, or one way to be queer and so we manifest that and uh, exemplify that differently and I think mm-hmm. that that's when I started to come into my own and get really excited about um, embracing all of the things that make black people magic right um and black women amazing um mm-hmm. that is like oh i'm gonna you know I, I can take this piece and i can uphold this piece and i want to hold highlight this piece and like let me just be all of the things that our ancestors would be proud of mm-hmm. um and carry that with me wherever i go i like that um so in terms of you know, kind of, I guess, recognizing or sort of figuring out where you were on the continuum of, you know, sexuality and all of that stuff. Like, was that something that you kind of had an inkling about as a younger person? Or was it more in in, like moving towards your adult life that that became more apparent for you and figuring out the language to kind of express that? Right. Um, I think it's funny because you think in retrospect, like, oh, that was that was really gay. (laughs) (laughs) When I think about certain things that I, you know, would say or do. Mm -hmm. um, But I really just attributed it to be being a tomboy. Right. You know, hanging out with all the guys or whatever. Like it wasn't I really didn't think about um, orientation at Mm -hmm. all. It was really just about like if I just I just want to be happy so I can remember like being younger and like not possessing kind of that judgmental perspective when you saw queer folks like walking down the street like instead I was I would say you know I want that like I just want to be happy and in love and um be comfortable and confident in who I am and who I'm with so um you know let that be whomever Mm -hmm. um and I think I definitely just held on to that um belief Mm-hmm. which I think carried me through mm-hmm. uh, where I am today or carries carries me and right. continues to carry me. Right. And then in terms of, you know, again, like your family and your friends sort of, you know, was there, I don't even know how to phrase it. I, I mean, I guess a coming out or were you just kind of like <laughs> flowing into, I don't know, is it, is it always sort of a, you know, thing or is it just like, yeah. hey, this is who I am and, you know, this is this is me. Um, how did that like how did that w- work in your particular experience? So I think that's something that I'm still working on reconciling for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. Um, because I sometimes like I feel like sometimes that's an announcement that I have to make. Mm-hmm. And then I also know like I shouldn't have to explain myself. Right. Um, so I waffle between like oh, now I got to come out to this group of people and they don't know. And then mm-hmm. they can ask me all of these questions. And mm-hmm. um, especially since, you know, I, I identify, I would say identify as bi, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are all of these, you know, stereotypes around right. um, and, and narratives um, that surround um, that identity. Mm-hmm. That is just like, oh, okay, so how do I how do I have this conversation? Then I have to explain myself. And then I, you know, it just starts to spiral. So I think for me, I mean, my parents have been um, incredibly supportive. Mm -hmm. 
and part of what um, prompted it was um, the relationship with my sister and my nieces Mm -hmm. and understanding, you know, the next generation, how potentially conservative they could come out. Right. um, And having an having a conversation with her about, you know, I, I understand that I carry identities that might come in conflict, whether it be, you know, my politicized identity as as race or, you know, my orientation. And I would hope that um, we're not raising my nieces to feel any kind of way or Mm -hmm. at least any kind of negative way. Um, And so I think that that, that's what prompted it. And Mm -hmm. so then after we had that conversation, I was like, well, I guess I got to tell my mom now. Right. In case she talks to my sister. Right. (laughs) So um, that, I mean, that's pretty much my my coming out. Mm -hmm. I was at a, gosh, I was at a convening for work and I had put it all together and I'm stressing about all this work stuff. But then I kind of, I'm. I walked in that next morning and um, this woman who's now like just an amazing presence mm-hmm. um, asked me if I was okay. And I was like, I just came out to my family last night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and she says, oh, baby, it's okay. She's, she was queer herself and you know, mm-hmm. has a wife and two kids and right. everything. So I was just, I am so incredibly grateful that she was there to just yeah. catch me. Um because I, I was I was at a, a complete loss for yeah. um, what that meant for me in accepting like that part of right. my reality. Right. Um, so kind of related to that a little bit, you know, I, I think it's it's safe to say that um, as a, you know, I hate to generalize, but I'm about to. Um, I think as a whole, um, black folk tend to be a little bit behind the curve in terms Ooh, of yeah. their level of acceptance or understanding of the queer community. Um, and I know you mentioned you kind of sort of to sort of, you know, move and lean into your blackness, you know, as you got to college and beyond. Like, have you found, you know, telling black folk who you are and what you're about to be like, uncomfortable or generally a positive like what has that experience been like compared to like telling your family ah man um can i can i curse on this you girl we are grown (laughs) okay this is rated r uh it was it's scary as fuck yeah (laughs) like um just because i know you know what comes with cultural traditions, whether um, it be that conservatism that is grounded or rooted in the church or what Mm -hmm. have you. Um, It's, yeah, that's, that is definitely something that I continue to work through Mm -hmm. um, and might have some, you know, minor anxieties still when Mm -hmm. thinking Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I'm I'm coming into this environment um, as myself uh, and risk um, that sort of um, being risk being ostracized mm-hmm. um, or othered as a result, which um, I think to me, especially when I was you know younger and yeah and, and figuring all of this out was I couldn't quite understand why as a marginalized group you would perpetuate that right. marginalization and oppression on. Um, a subset mm-hmm. of a community that could exist fully, um, mm-hmm. and yet you're not letting them. So, 
Yeah, I'm still, it's getting better. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've definitely found a community of queer folks of color. And it's been really exciting, especially in the the weightlifting world as well. Um, Because that's, it's, it's nice to have that, that, it's nice to have a space for us to exist at the intersections, right? Uh, which is something that I found, um, as you know, going to that Women's Strength Summit in Tacoma, mm-hmm. um, which was absolutely amazing um, to be there and be with right. all of these strong, brilliant women of color who identified as queer. So it's right. it great. Right. So one of the things I was um, curious about, because I, and of course, you know, um, I, I never really had to think about this, you know, I guess that is kind of a privilege, but looking at, you know, kind of some of my friends' experiences who are more vocal about, um, you know, their queerness and, you know, sort of rights and things like that. Um, it's interesting to me that a lot of times when you see or you think queer, you think LGBTQIA, whatever, you see white people. Uh-huh. And so... It feels like just from my perception on the outside looking in that there is some erasure there sometimes and whether that is intentional or not, I guess, you know, that I guess that whoever gets to be the judge of that. (laughs) Um, But do you find yourself because I think you are one that tends to use your platform, not only just kind of for your, you know, strength and, and weightlifting, but also, you know, talk about some of these quote unquote taboo topics with respect to politics and gender and, you know, blackness and queerness. Do you, do you find yourself struggling with that? Like if you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm fighting for, you know, as a bisexual woman, I'm fighting for the right to, you know, our rights. But do you ever feel like sometimes you have to kind of figure out, are you fighting for that? Or are you fighting for blackness? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you, kind of navigate that space yeah it's that's really overwhelming um to know that especially operating at the intersection of predominantly marginalized identities right like which one of those and is the cause that i want to embrace and run with Mm -hmm. um and and thinking well number one thinking that i have to choose is um, I don't necessarily think I want to exist in that right. time. Right. Um, so I think for me, it's well, yeah. I mean, for me, there's the notion that um, you know my liberation is tied to yours, right? Um, and I am because you are, right? So, mm-hmm. um, with that, all that being said, that even for those that exist in the intersections, whether um, privileged or marginalized that we can come together in some sort of shared liberation and movement that will be inclusive and Mm -hmm. beneficial, which, um, as you said, is not necessarily one that we're seeing, especially, um, within the queer queer community. Um, as you see pride parades happening every weekend, all the month of June and you look out and it's a sea of white folks and predominantly white men. Right. Um, and so you're, you know, you're absolutely right that there has been, um, an erasure of acknowledging that, you know, the first woman to throw a shoe at Stonewall was a, you know, trans woman of color, sex worker, um, who started it all was a catalyst for all of it. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's just, 
the way that history gets written. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is also, you know, it's the lowest hanging fruit. Right. Um, and that is giving rights to, um, gay white men, um, Mm -hmm. because that's like, that's the most, it's there and it's, it's easy, right? Maybe we have marriage equality and we all win. Right. Um, which is false. Yeah. 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 It's like I said, it's, it's interesting for me to observe because, you know, I, you know, will sort of see posts about certain things and, you know, the support that's wanted for certain things. And we'll get into that a little bit later in terms of, you know, certain kinds of athletes and their ability to do this and that. But then I'll also see some of these same people posting things that are the direct sort of antithesis to how I exist as a black woman. And it's kind of like, Oh, okay. So at the end of the day, though, you're choosing whiteness over everything. Uh, yes. You know, exactly. and so, I, um, you know, again, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I kind of feel like, you know, sometimes when I want to check people, maybe that's not really my lane to do. But I'm just like, how are y'all not like y'all don't notice or y'all don't care that this is like in complete conflict with the two, you know, uh-huh. you want, you know, everybody to be able to do this thing but at the end of the day, as long as everybody look like you, you know. Mm-hmm. So right. anyway, I mean, um, whiteness is whiteness, and right? No matter what color you are, right? You can carry whiteness and perpetuate whiteness. So right. I mean, that's a that is a conversation that is can be had when you are calling people in or right. out, depending yeah. on how close you are, right? Because yeah. that happens as well. Um, but that's I think that's that's real and yeah. it's um challenging to see um uh, folks pit against one another mm-hmm. um in a way that i mean it's it is it's challenging to see po- folks pit against one another because that only allows for whiteness to prevail right right, right. so yeah and i think there's this notion that you know if you are you know, um, a queer person, you can't be racist. And I'm right. like, I Which don't know where you got that idea from. <laughs> <laughs> like what, <laughs> you know, right. or, or, you know, part of another, you know, type of marginalized group, whether it's, you know, that or something else that you can't be racist, but it's like, nah, want, they don't, they are not mutually exclusive in any shape, form or fashion. Try again. None um, whatsoever. And I mean, it's, it's all rooted in anti-blackness. Right. right. So because of that, um, you know, that is what continues to be perpetuated. And, um, you know, to the extent that we can align ourselves with a, a power dynamic, um, that's where we try and look to, right. um, despite our best efforts, which mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, really gets at that, what is a cause that is safe right. versus a cause, a, a cause that is safe, like going to pride, which is, um, incredibly white and corporate. And, mm-hmm. you know, the f- parades are three mm-hmm. hours long, right. um, right. versus going to a Black Lives Matter march and you may as it might only be a couple blocks long and a handful of people. Right. Um, and obviously the policing is very yeah. different. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, it, yeah, I was really struck today. Um, some, I don't even know what it was I, I read, but it was basically like, yeah, why don't you go and look at all your phase websites today as compared to yesterday? And when I tell you <laughs> that there was not one rainbow to be had, yeah. you know, I'm like, Oh, 
oh, okay, so this is how we're doing it, you know, yeah. and it's just interesting that you mentioned that, like, you know, it it, it it is performative, and it is like this costume, you know, a lot of corporations like to slip on for 30 days, and, and yeah. you know, it's kind of like Black History Month, you know? Right. Um, and it just reminds me, like, yeah, we how far we've come, but how far we still have to go, you know? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's whew, anyway. Um, so kind of back to Olympic weightlifting and CrossFit a little bit, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, they're not really known for the diversity of athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's fantastic that, you know, one of the positives of social media has been to amplify and make these sports more visible to more people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and particularly to women to see, hey, you know, I can do this thing. I can be strong. I can be an athlete. Um, But it also shows that there is just, like you said, you know, just kind of a, the face of it is white mostly. Um, Mm -hmm. And so why do you think that is? And, And did you think about that as you started to kind of get more involved in CrossFit and um, Olympic weightlifting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the just, I, I remember my initial excitement in watching CrossFit. And thinking, mm-hmm. Yeah, strong women. Right. This is so great. And look at their muscles. Um, and, you know, then they're they're just as competitive as the men. And right. the sponsorships and, you know, they're, they're appearing in all these places. And mm-hmm. like, but where are the black women? Right. Like, there's, right. you know, three of them that yeah. I remember seeing. And definitely, I think only one I remember being um, out. Um, and yeah, like, we were very, we were super and still continue. I mean, hashtag right. fit so white. Um, continue to be invisible. So, I, I mean, I am thankful to the women of color who have, you know, been trailblazers. So I think mm-hmm. you and I were talking last time um, yeah. that, you know, seeing Elizabeth Akinwale right. and um, Taylor Maid and mm-hmm. um, Kiana Welch at the um, Grid League Games. Right, right. And just being, I just started CrossFit. And so it was so exciting. Like, look at them go. This is amazing. I got my pictures with them. And I was like, I, you know, I can do that and I want to do that. Right. Um, but now I think, and now I think that, you know, looking back who, and just observing, especially um, CrossFit and who is getting the sponsorships and mm-hmm. um, the airtime. And you realize it's a very distinct kind of woman. Right. Um, that is, you know, yes, she's strong. And she has her eyebrows done and probably right. has maybe blonde blonde hair or, you know, she's um, just extra feminine mm-hmm. um, to, you know, I would venture to say counter um, right. the the tropes that we associate with masculinity that is, you know, muscles and strength and, right. and grit, uh, which is definitely something that um, like I've now I'm still trying to navigate as well because mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, my body was always bigger and I wanted to be like, and I knew that being an athlete was 
um, something that I could do and wanted to do, but it was a catch 22 when I start thinking, oh, but now I have this like specialized body that comes with muscles to support the weight that I do lift Mm -hmm. um, and wonder, okay, so maybe like I shouldn't cut my hair off or like if I just leave extensions in, like people aren't going to mistake me for Mm -hmm. um, being too masculine. Right. Um, So every once in a while, those, those thoughts definitely keep it, creep in. Mm -hmm. um, And I have to do a little bit of work to address those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you think a lot of that also the lack of diversity has uh, has to do with the lack of diversity? So I think, well, I think this is the case in any situation. If there's a lack of diversity in the leadership, right, of anything, any organization, any anything, it's going to trickle down. Yes. Right? Do you do you find that same experience in Olympic weightlifting? Um, you know, I, I know, I mean. I'm, I don't know as much about that, but I look at powerlifting sometimes and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I <laughs> yeah. see how this is happening. What what is your or what has your experience been with that? Yeah, I, I think uh, the power structures resemble mm-hmm. that of the rest of everywhere else. Um, you know, we do have obviously we they are starting to build up like their women's mentoring. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been fortunate enough to be in the same area as Kara Heads, Mm -hmm. um, you know, former. And just an all around amazing person. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has been, you know, wonderful to see how she's created and built up this entire outfit that's nothing but weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, uh, that's, that's been huge to have that as an example. But I know that we're, that sort of thing is so few and far between um, that I would say it's not enough to sometimes they host um, uh, like affinity groups at the major national competitions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's great. But if only happens like twice a year when we're only meeting at affinity and we're just kind of talking about the issues, we're not talking, we're, we're orienting ourselves uh, in relation to whiteness and right. in terms of t- versus talking about where our shared empowerment could be, right. what it might be required for us to, you know, move a person of color into a leadership position mm-hmm. um, or to ask, you know, a male um, ally, though that is a term I use very loosely, um, mm-hmm. in leadership mm-hmm. to exercise his power mm-hmm. um, and perhaps elevate um a person or a message or a policy that would um, facilitate that growth of, mm-hmm. you know, women and people of color. Right, right. I know, too, um, and this is really with, um, I think, strength, strength sports in general, um, some more than others, you know, it can be pretty cost prohibitive to get started. Yes, right? absolutely. So, you know, what advice or guidance would you have for, you know, maybe it's someone who's listening to this show and is like, wow, you know, I, I think this is something I'd be great at or my daughter would be great at or whatever. How, how can they kind of get their foot in the door if they don't necessarily have the resources, you know, to join a CrossFit box, which can be several hundred dollars a month or, yeah. you know, and, and buying all kinds of fancy crap, which you don't have to do. Um, (laughs) what are some ways that they can kind of get, you know, kind of get engaged without a huge outlay of expense at the outset? 
Yeah. I mean, just the, like you said, the, it's so cost prohibitive. And I think that yeah. that's obviously what part, part of what lends itself to um, the way in which um, folks without the means um, either opt out or just right. aren't able to participate mm-hmm. um, just because we don't necessarily have a wealth of resources uh, because of history. Right. Um, but I... I think my first set of advice would be, you know, find the connections in your community that um, might be able to link you up with, um, you know, either gym membership. There's tons of walking clubs. I think Mm -hmm. that's an entry point um, that um, walking is something that we tend to take for granted. Um, So to find, you know, the, the... like the girls trek or, you know, those sorts of um, social clubs. Um, Then I'd also say um, to not be afraid to approach strong women when you see them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always tickled when I get women who ask, like, you know, what do I do to get arms like that? Um, (laughs) Or, you know, you lift so much weight, like, how can I get there? And, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, don't hesitate to ask. And then it's also a conversation and understanding, like, you know, we all start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so, like, talk to me about your goals and, and what, access what kind of access do you have and we can figure out like is it just a training program um, that either I can put together or there's you know plenty of online resources available Mm -hmm. for them to use at their own gyms or um, one of the things that I would love to implement um, is you know a sliding scale or a community Mm -hmm. course structure Mm -hmm. um, at my gym because I mean it's like there we're perfectly situated right to continue to bring in folks who live in the area Mm -hmm. uh, still um, because they're obviously experiencing some gentrification Um, but if there were you know services and opportunities available to serve an already existing population I would love 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 to fill that void awesome Um, are you currently coaching or do you offer coaching services yeah, so I am a CrossFit coach okay. at CrossFit DC, um, and I will be likely picking up some more hours. You can catch mm-hmm. me on our, we have two locations, and I tend to bounce between um, those in the DC area. Okay. I am really hoping to pick up some, um, you know, more individualized clients mm-hmm. and um, start thinking about, you know, what would it look like to combine fitness and nutrition right. um, and to make that um, available to folks who are interested. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking through that piece and am open to, to trying new things out. Right. Oh, that's exciting because you'd be an amazing coach. So I hope you, I hope you think it through and decide to do it. <laughs> um, and then you can come back on and talk all about it. Right. Um, exactly. Right. So is there a resource like you mentioned, you know, kind of going within your community and finding a barbell club or is there like an online resource or a directory or something that people could use to do that? Or is it more a little bit more like self-generated searching? Yeah. So there's definitely, I mean, at least on USA Weightlifting. Oh, OK. Um, they do have a database mm-hmm. um, where it lists the local weightlifting clubs. And within those clubs, there's, 
you know, 10-ish, depending on the region, um, right. different barbell clubs located in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, though, that a number of them require USAW memberships, Okay. Um, which is a nominal fee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not on a, it's, yeah, it's, it's nominal. So right. um, that is one. Check those folks out. Um, okay. And we will put, of course, the information in the show notes. So I'll make sure that you all um, listening have um, a link to their website or their directory or whatever the case may be. So Yeah. And there's also um, at other random gyms across at least the district mm-hmm. do host, um, you know, snatch just snatch sessions mm-hmm. um, or you know, cleaning sessions, um, right. which, again, I would love to be able to offer those more frequently. There's a huge market for that. I know um, another plug for Kara, she does host like, mm-hmm. six-week camps and two-day-long camps for novice to mm-hmm. um, elite athletes. So there's definitely room to um, build on the structure that um, she's created and right. Um, offer some like where is that entry point and those beginning beginners mm-hmm. opportunities um, at least in the district yeah yeah and I think you're I, I think people are sort of catching on and and kind of embracing the idea of like community-based fitness too mm-hmm. um I mean yep. obviously you know um uh 13th flow which is Elizabeth Akinwale's gym in yeah. Chicago um I had a chance to go earlier this year and it is amazing um but yeah that 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 whole idea of you know and it's in chicago like in the city like you know right there where folks can get to it um and so i think that that's really cool and i'd love to see more of that and i know also um is it weight weightlifting for life i think um they have a um there's a gym in st louis that's kind of um i think centered around or sort of they have a program for for kids in that yeah. kind of inner city community and uh-huh. every time i see one of those little brown kids throw up some weight i am just like in glee just in love it is just amazing and i'm talking little little kids mm-hmm. um so you know i i hope that that catches on more other places um i know there's something similar in um, la too yeah but and in baltimore you know, too yeah, yeah yeah exactly so i really do hope that catches on because i think it's just such a fantastic way especially for young women to build their level of confidence in themselves and and you know, start focusing on what their bodies can do rather than yeah. what their bodies look like. Because, you know, yes. they get, we hit, ugh, get hit with that shit so early in life. Um, and just never being enough or not being the right kind of whatever it is. Right. So, like the right um, kind of femme presenting. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. So that definitely, I think, makes me happy. And, you know, like I said, I hope that takes off a little bit more. Um, let's see. So we talked about this kind of a little bit um, earlier, but, you know, you are you are someone who has like a, you know, pretty active social media account on Instagram. And like I said, you know, you you tend to highlight some taboo topics, too, um, on your platform. And, you know, I've noticed that, again, some athletes, I use air quotes you know, don't want to use or avoid using their platform in that way, whether it's to avoid criticism or sponsorships or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, Has that been like an intentional decision on your part or is it just kind of organic how your how your platform has grown? 
Yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been pretty organic. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been pretty vocal on um, social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, initially my, I set up my Instagram. So if I posted a picture and geotagged it, like my mom would know where I was. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So where in the world is Angie this time? Right, right. Um, But yeah, now it's definitely, I mean, I know that there is interest in my lifting and, you know, tracking my progress and um, seeing me evolve. And um, so what I've done is, you know, I try and capture like all things sports related in the um, feed. Mm-hmm. And then in the stories um, is where I've put like, and this is what I'm talking about today, or this right. is what I'm feeling right now. And, or this is why this is important. And here's what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and try to at least raise a level of awareness right. um, for, and I did that for a couple of reasons, because number one, I know that trolls exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by putting the stories up there, that limits the amount of time that I can be spending right. arguing with folks that I just shouldn't be arguing with. Exactly. Um, unless they want to, you know, reply to one of my stories. Like I, at one point, um, a few months ago, I there there was a white woman who landed in my inbox and oh, said that you know she racism is racism no matter who it came from or who it was directed at. Wait, what? Yeah. I don't think that word means what you think it means. No, and, you know, (laughs) black people can't be racist. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's that's, not how any of this works. It doesn't. So I'm like, okay, so do I entertain this message that I didn't approve? um, Or do I put it to the rest of my story so that other people could go in on her? Like, Mm -hmm. what is the level of petty that I want to Um, so I decided to be the bigger person mm-hmm. um, and I you know I, I took that route um, but that's not to say that I'm going to shy away from everyone or everything right. that comes my way I just I'm picking my battles mm-hmm. um, and also acknowledging um, the the impact that I can have without proper context right and just so just wanting to remain mindful of that especially since my last couple of my AO performance and my nationals performance being featured on hook grip now twice um, because you're a badass but anyway <laughs> yeah um i'm still thanks <laughs> i am clearly still trying to step into that identity right. um and own that and all mm-hmm. that comes with it which in which means that you know people are watching and people are looking which right. scares me so much because i'd rather just you know hide in right. the background um, yeah. and now i'm standing out which is completely contrary to why i joined sports mm-hmm. in the first place anyway but mm-hmm. you know similar to what i was saying earlier you know i just i'm not going to go through the hassle of having to reintroduce myself and why I do right. what I do and what I stand for. Like, it just is what it is. And right. if you don't like it, like, don't follow me. Right, exactly. There's an unfollow button, guys. Yeah. Um, and this also we touched on a little bit. I don't know if you heard my mm's when you were talking about this <laughs> earlier. But, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, because I'm not, you know, I don't know who listens to the show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that... Um, I am finding myself more and more troubled by is the use of the word ally. 
um, for a variety of reasons. Um, first of all, the people that self-title themselves ally, I don't even know that, I don't think they actually know what it means. No. Um, and and what is actually yourself. required, right, to earn that status. So, you know, do you believe allies to oppressed groups, particularly, like I said, you know, black women, since that's kind of, you know, the point of the show, like, do you think they actually exist? And how can someone truly be a quote unquote ally? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you can't take the title, right? um, And deem yourself an ally, right? Um, Nor can you say, well, I have a black friend, you've said that it's okay. Um, and what have you. Or a black kid, or a or, black yeah. partner, or yeah. a black house. I mean, I don't even know, but like, it's just like an ally the... by relation. Right. Um, that right. doesn't work either. Right. Um, and most definitely don't use me as that person. Um, right. <laughs> because I will tell you straight up, like, no, I didn't say that. Exactly. I didn't give you permission to do that either. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I think for me to, like, define what an ally is, or at least what they look like. Like that's somebody who um, uses their privilege Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that can um, benefit or, which is often the case, protect um, communities of color, people of color. Um, And so I think, so for a couple things, I don't know if you've seen like Mm -hmm. any sort of video where I think, you know, there's a, a, uh, I think a black man in court and he was trying to raise awareness about something mm-hmm. and he came in surrounded by a number of white folks who diffused the situation um, by facing their people, right? right? Not trying to calm him down, right? but, you know, allowing him to keep that platform mm-hmm. and uh, keeping their people in check. Right. Um, like that is what I would call an ally um, or just somebody who like, is going to go down with you basically mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. if this if you set the place on fire like you're both gonna run right, right. or you're both gonna own up to it um, right because you said that this was a value of yours mm-hmm. so you are not going to back out because your privilege allows that right right it's f- interesting that you use that example because um i have heard someone use or a couple of people use the word accomplice Yes. Um, as opposed sure. to ally. And I, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm mulling over that, but I could, that to me makes a little bit more sense because it's not about, you. like you said, it's about protection and it's not about like, oh, well, I will stand up for you up until the point that it affects my privilege, then you right. on your own. And that's what I feel like a lot of quote unquote allies do or say, mm-hmm. and their actions don't line up with their words. You know, accomplice, accomplices, you, you commit a crime with me. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Um, or whatever it is. And so I think that is something um, that, you know, folks need to be looking at how to be an accomplice mm-hmm. and not an ally. Yeah, right. most definitely. Like I said, you, we jump in together. Otherwise, right. it's not going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I wanted to kind of go back a little bit to um, um, your only weightlifting. And like you said, I, you mentioned, um, and if y'all have not seen her lifts on Hook Grip or on her page, you need to go because she tore up the platform <laughs> at Nationals. Thank you very much. Um 
what are you, so what does your training usually look like? Like, let's say you're kind of, you know, getting ready to, um, for me, what is, mm-hmm. what is your training flow like for a week look like? Yeah, um, leading up to a meet, I generally follow a nine or twelve week cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a coach yourself? I do. Um, yes, I do. Okay. The way I have a, I mean, my barbell club is pretty flat in terms of coaching. Um, okay. I do have a couple of coaches present, um, and so because of where I'm at in um, my lifting, I do work with a coach to. Um, he writes most of my programming, mm-hmm. chime in and say, well, I'd like to work on this or like, mm-hmm. here's what I'm feeling. Let's try and figure this out. Um, so he writes my programming. Um, and so um, between the two of them, um, the other one has been my meat coach and mm-hmm. um, has been in the game for a really long time. Um, and so for me, I generally program... Uh, four practices a week, mm-hmm. uh, about two hours each. Mm-hmm. And then depending on where I'm at in my cycle, um, I might program another two to three to maybe even four days of accessory work on top of that. Okay. Um, and so, I yeah. And what kind of accessory work do you all do? Um, it's definitely lifter specific, but I have started, I was injured probably a year and a half ago mm-hmm. and I couldn't lift as heavy as I wanted to and I realized mm-hmm. that there were like weaknesses in my core and some imbalances um so on when I'm doing you know uh unilateral movements mm-hmm. um and so I started to incorporate um uh, RP physique templates okay and um adjusted a lot of the lifts to mimic what would be considered like moves for ollie so right like it would mm-hmm. be a snatch grip deadlift versus a regular deadlift or mm-hmm. um you know if i'm doing barbell push press or like push jerks right these are all things that are components of weightlifting or support mm-hmm. weightlifting um, by building up those smaller muscles so um i uh program that in in waves as well mm-hmm. um and i'm definitely on the back end of taking a break and mm-hmm. um getting back into some some programming mm-hmm. okay so the way that you um, if i'm counting correctly so it, again leading up to a meet you train seven days a week six days a week um i might leading up to like the meet week or the week before a meet it's probably only four times but okay. in a cycle it's not uncommon to see me in the gym five days a week oh, okay. um and perhaps doubling up on mm-hmm. one or two of those days like if i'm really in that strength building phase otherwise i definitely most definitely average on at least four okay four sessions a week do only lifters do cardio <laughs> i mean if you count lifting weights faster right exactly like, <laughs> more reps i'm on you right like in in how many minutes oh 60 second intervals got it yeah right cardio Yes. Right. That is hilarious. Now you and you know powerlifters are like, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't want no parts of that. <laughs> like unless I have to cut and even then, like it's not until the very last month where I might start walking for a right. couple miles every other day or something mm-hmm. like that. But definitely not yeah. cardio is not a private. No. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um and, and speaking of that, so do you subscribe to a particular way of or a particular type of nutrition? Um, you know, generally as an athlete or do you just kind of eat whatever? Like, what does that look like for you? 
I think my diet has definitely evolved and really tracks along um, how much more competitive I've gotten mm-hmm. um, and involved and engaged in the sport. So I remember, I think when I probably six months into CrossFit, I did a whole 30 mm-hmm. um, and uh really understood or started to understand like my relationship with food can you Um, briefly tell us what that is for the folks that may not know yeah so whole 30 basically for 30 days you cut out um dairy grains legumes alcohol um all the fun stuff right (laughs) um and uh in that kind of detox um you both kind of learn about like what are your triggers for food? Like, when do I reach for it? What do I want? Um, but then you also see, you know, some non-skill victories in terms of, you know, less bloating, quicker recovery, less inflammation, um, clearer skin, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the 30 days, then you reintroduce, you're mm-hmm. supposed to slowly reintroduce right. um, those things that you've cut out to see um, the effect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's when I definitely learned like, oh, I don't recover as quickly after, um, you know, eating uh, a whole bunch of bread or right. like butter is probably not the best uh, fat option for me. And I mm-hmm. move really slow as a result. Um, so that's, that's where I started. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's definitely a relationship of ground eating for performance that is, you know, watching my macros. I, mm-hmm. um, I tend to follow RP, which again, is Renaissance, Renaissance periodization. Okay. Um, I've dropped their name twice. So I feel like they need to sponsor me. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> they need to buy some ad time on my show. Something. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I tend to follow them, um, like eight to 10 weeks out from a meet mm-hmm. um, and that's just I mean it's periodization in terms of nutrient timing and watching my macros and it's a very slow um, cut mm-hmm. um, but I'm what I'm trying to figure out is how do I balance just eating normally and you know performing well and recovering better right. um, in a way that keeps my weight at a steady um keeps my weight steady versus Mm -hmm. what I am notorious for doing is I, you know, follow RP for 10 weeks and then I eat all of the things that I missed out for four (laughs) and then I go back to RP and do a mini cut. And so it's just that sort of, um, roller coaster is Mm -hmm. the longer I'm in it, the less I'm like, I don't want to do this. So, um, I'm trying to figure out like what does maintenance look like, right. um, especially since the weight classes change. So, right. and I'm sitting at the, like, I'm still sitting on the inside of the top end of a 64. Okay. Um, yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Like what's your walk around versus competition? Are you kind of above middle? Yeah. I tend to, I tend to walk like maybe one ish, two kilos heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm cutting, it really is just a matter of just not eating donuts for, right. <laughs> for a month. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't have 
too much of a struggle mm-hmm. um, unless I'm, you know, obviously if it's high volume training. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of inflammation or if I'm stressed at work right. and, you know, the cortisol levels are high. So I can't right. cut weights, which is what I think often I tend to turn to RP for is just to manage like what I know I can control mm-hmm. um, is what I put in my mouth uh, and have it, you know, be a little bit more strategic. Right. Um, but and then part of me is like, well, maybe you should just cut down to a 59 and see what happens. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you have any plans to move weight classes um, given the changes that have occurred? I, I don't know. I, I waffle. Um, mm-hmm. No pun intended. I know, right? I was like, ooh, waffle. <laughs> <laughs> Shows you where my mind uh, is. Yeah, exactly. Um, I... I I oscillate because I know that generally what ends up happening when I cut, I end up walking around it or like weighing in around that 62. Mm -hmm. So I wonder like what would happen if I just fully committed to the 12 weeks and lifted at a 59? Mm -hmm. Because I know that I could do it. Mm -hmm. Just again, a question around maintaining um, and being able to like keep my sanity. Yeah. uh, And strength. And strength. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't think that people take into consideration, um, like where your strength potential is and like where you sit in terms of your weight class. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it doesn't necessarily make sense to lift at a lower weight cap weight class to bridge that gap between what I can lift and what I weigh, um, and making that closer. It, It makes more sense for somebody to like, keep that strength potential and then continue to close that gap like moving towards that so it's not losing the weight and inching towards what i know i can lift versus stopping at what i can lift and trying to lose the weight Mm. that that ratio i don't think people take that into consideration right um so i've been i've been sitting in that and thinking okay well it probably just makes more sense for me to you know, stay strong, not lose strength and, you know, walk at that heavier weight. And then mm-hmm. um, if I want to play with dropping to a lower weight class, I can. But I have a lot of technique work that I can be working on to mm-hmm. bridge some of that, uh, those gaps. Right. So, yeah. Do you have any meets coming up or are you just kind of taking a, a hiatus for the time being? Um, taking a hiatus for the time being, um, AO's on tentative, um, but we'll see where I end up, um, when will that be with like eh, December? Oh, in December. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's, yeah, there's probably a, a local lifting meet or something leading up to that. But, mm-hmm. um, I think we're really trying to build towards, um, a strong nationals finish next mm-hmm. year okay. um, with the potential of I, I am a master will be a masters I count as a masters <laughs> um, but next year uh, really diving into the masters level competition where there's you know some international travel that oh wow that okay. comes with it so right right exploring awesome. that awesome um there was one more question I had. Oh, oh, how could I forget this? So tell me your favorite and your least favorite lift and why. My favorite lift to train is snatch. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just a beautiful lift that just requires 
a constant commitment. Right. Uh, it's like a relationship. Um, mm-hmm. just, you gotta be and play really nice with it and know that there are some ups and downs. Right. Um, but you know, in the end, like the minute you hit that like perfect lift, you're like, God, that mm-hmm. was so easy. That was so pretty. Um, so that's my favorite to train, but my favorite to compete is definitely the clean and jerk. Mm. Um, cause that's, that's my money lift. Like that is, you know, just power and right. strength and I can muscle through it and mm-hmm. just, I, I mean, yes, it's technical and yes, you're graceful, but there's something to be said about, um, pulling under a, you know, 300 pounds or I, I guess I'm my max so far is like 115 kilos. Um, and then being able to like, just catch your breath really quickly and then explode from the core, um, for the jerk. Like, I think that that is, it's a powerful moment to be Mm -hmm. able to hit that and stick it. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, definitely competition favorite. And what about your least favorite? I mean, you basically yeah. named all the lists. So I'm yeah. like, I mean, the snatch is my least favorite to compete in, but most uh-huh. favorite to train. And clean is the, I mean, I'll train clean and it's fine, but right. definitely to compete. That's that's what I enjoy. Oh, okay, cool. That's all good to know. So now we get to the fun part. It's all been fun, but um, this is kind of my favorite part because it's um, just kind of random questions where, you know, we just get to know a little more about you and getting your business. Okay. So um, I tried, I will, I promise not to make them too difficult. So okay. um, <laughs> you're like, I tried oh, to Lord. remember, like, what did she ask me before? Like, oh, I don't worry about it because <laughs> these are different. <laughs> oh, man, I was ready. I know you were. Um, so let's see. What sound most reminds you of love? Sound most reminds me of love? Mm-hmm. Uh, laughter. Oh, okay. Okay. I like it. See, I told you these are easy. Um, <laughs> what's the worst piece of advice you've ever received? I would definitely say, oh, don't get too big, right? <laughs> right. You're really good at your sport, but like, don't get too big. Oh, God. B- too big for what? Anyway, right. that's a whole other podcast. Right. Um, what's on your playlist, both for training and just chilling out? Yeah. So right now I am loving Lizzo. Mm-hmm. Um, Aren't we all? And her album is just like I will Blair worship mm-hmm. and just you know on all of her queendom. So mm-hmm. I, she is definitely up there um, at nationals. I spent from weigh-ins until my very last lift listening mm-hmm. to uh, Beyonce's Homecoming. Oh, <laughs> so girl, four hours of Beyonce right. uh, on repeat. And mm-hmm. It was totally worth it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's one of my faves um, already. Um, what's something that people would be surprised that either you don't know how to do or you're not very good at? Um, that I don't know how to do or I'm not very good at. Mm-hmm. I would pro- definitely gymnastics. Hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't have a gymnastics background mm-hmm. my parents and I'm, I still tell my mom, like, I wish I <laughs> gymnastics. I'd already been to the CrossFit games by now, right? Um, <laughs> but she didn't and, or they didn't, so mm-hmm. I didn't go. Um, but yeah, I, 
it's funny you ask because I was just saying like I was talking to my elements class or our foundations class about mm-hmm. movements that you're going to learn and eventually right. learn and what's going to take time to learn and I was talking about um, ring muscle ups mm. when I got my we did a whole session the class was dedicated to it and I got my ring muscle up on the first try and like I came down and I went crazy and did a lap around the gym and acted like the idiot and my coach just looked at me and he was like oh like that was your that was your first one like <laughs> but but he said oh 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 great I'm like yeah that was my first one like, oh <laughs> Thank you for, I mean, thank you, yes, for thinking that I'm athletic enough right. to get a muscle up. But, like, I am not good. I My body awareness in the air, <sighs> in space, none whatsoever. I still haven't gotten one. Haven't. That is one of the main reasons I'm like, I'm going to make a return to CrossFit one of these days. Because <laughs> I'm going to get a fucking muscle up. Right. Maybe I'll get a <sighs> butterfly pull up. Or yeah. maybe I'll just get stronger and strict everything. So. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Um, what does your dream job or career look like? <sighs> um, my dream job or career, I think, would be in one where I am situated um, to not only exist authentically, mm-hmm. um, but be in a space to create that same sort of opportunity for others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to, or I have been sitting in the like race equity and inclusion space for the mm-hmm. last few years. And mm-hmm. I find those spaces so empowering, especially for people of color and women right. of color, um, that I would love to be able to create those same affirmative environments um that i've had the pleasure of being in Mm -hmm. um, because i know that it's like once you realize your own strength and that there's a community around you um, that we've created and we've cultivated and we honor and love that that is it's such a powerful existence so Mm -hmm. i'm not sure where that's gonna take me or where i'm gonna end up but i mean it could be coaching it it could be consulting, who knows? Um, hmm. But that's, I think, where my passions are for sure. Okay, I like it. Um, so it's your last supper on this earth. Mm-hmm. What are you eating? I did rehearse this one. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I should have put a spin on it. <laughs> it's okay. I, I only came up with the answer um, because I was thinking like formal meals. And then um, my partner was saying, well, she liked all of these things from all of these different places. So mm-hmm. all of that, I said, oh, I guess I never, like that's the difference between her and I. Um, <laughs> I guess I never thought of that. Like I'm very right. structured and whatever. Um, but I I would say that uh, my senior year in college, I studied abroad in South Africa. Mm, okay. And we went to this little township uh, where this woman um built on to her kitchen and brought in tourists because she said you're sitting on your air-conditioned buses and you don't come in and you're just looking at us right so why don't you get off your bus and understand what it is that is like understand our culture mm-hmm. and also right to make a profit so that she could send her kids to school um, right and buy them uniforms but mm-hmm. at this um, dinner it I think there were two tables full of food that I couldn't tell you what was on it. I mean, mm-hmm. lentils and greens and 
I'm sure there was alligator and ostrich and it was mm-hmm. just amazing and so amazing to the point where like the advice was only put a spoonful of stuff on your plate because mm. you won't get it all otherwise right. you won't be able to taste it all right so only a spoonful um and that feast was I mean the, the environment was amazing obviously mm. but mm-hmm. um the food I just remember like the smorgasbord of all of these options and colors and like I just it was nice to bask in that oh, and be okay. full for like the next two days <laughs> okay okay now I also know that you are a bit of a cook um, that's an understatement. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite thing to cook? I love baking. Um, mm-hmm. So any sugar, butter, flour combination oh. is where it's at for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I get time, I love the cupcakes and the pies and mm. um, those sorts of flavor combinations are mm-hmm. really I, I know the level of happy that a good cupcake brings me. Right. So, <laughs> I like to share that with others um, please share, please as share. well. <laughs> Definitely, I will. Ooh, um, okay. So Hollywood has decided it's time to make an Angela biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, who is playing you and what's the title of your biopic? Oh man, that's a hard one. I'm, ooh, I'm terrible at names. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say, who is maybe Janelle Monet? Okay. Or her partner. What's her okay. partner's name? Uh, well, I heard they weren't together anymore. Girl. Oh, well, but um, I know who you're talking about. It's, yes. It's, I can't remember her name now. I'm terrible at names. Um, I can we, see the, you. You know, I can see the Janelle Monet because you guys kind of favor, actually. You think? I do think maybe. so. Yeah. Yeah. I do think so. I I, I could. could see that. Yeah, I could see. Um, that would be maybe her. Okay. Um, she's one of my favorites. Um, okay. I like it. And titles. Ooh. It would probably be something about just like unapologetic or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. Okay. I like it. That's, That's a hard one. <laughs> That's all right. I know. It's a, you know, it's a think on your feet kind of question. It's fine. Um, so let's see. I'm trying to I'm trying to throw you a little bit since I asked you these last time. Well, maybe your answers will be different. So just one word, right, to respond. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, love is. I love is happiness. Okay. Angela is ridiculous. <laughs> I like it. Strength is amazing. Black is necessary. Ooh. Ooh, girl, that hit me right in my feels. I think we need a I think we need a t-shirt with that on it. Um <laughs> so uh before we we wrap it up, what would today's Angela, right, as she sits today, tell 13-year-old Angela and, let's say, 21-year-old Angela, what what advice or words of wisdom would she have? Um, she would definitely tell her 13-year-old self, like, and it sounds so cliche, but, you know, it's it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You'll, you're going to figure it out. Uh, don't be in any kind of rush to grow up um, mm-hmm. and have all of the answers. 
um, and just learn to be in the present um, and appreciate you and all your current strengths and know that you're going to grow into them and that much more. Okay. Like um, my 21-year-old self, mm-hmm. I would say that you need to own when you're wrong Mm. um and also learn to live freely Mm. um and like find the balance between the two i like that that's so important so where can people find you on the internet you can find me definitely on Instagram mm-hmm. um, at, and I think you'll tag them, Fit yep. Fem Foodie. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'm also on the Facebooks. Oh, um, okay. I, it's a little bit quiet on that sort of platform just because it, it gets hard to filter what's real and what's not. Um, right. And not to say that all things are fake news, but mm-hmm. sometimes I just don't want to be in it. Yeah, um, I hear you. But I'm often there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the two. I don't do the Twitters. Um, <laughs> I read Smart. the feeds, but mm-hmm. and I'm here for Black Twitter. Yes, but... <laughs> uh, always, always. That's literally the only reason I have an account. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's exhausting. Yeah. Cool. Well, again. For the second time, this has been an absolute pleasure. Yes. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to share your voice with the world and our listeners. Um, you can come back any time you want. Like I said, when you start your amazing coaching business, I am claiming it for you in the universe. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You can come back and tell us all about it or anything else that's on your spirit that you want to talk about. Um, thank you listeners for listening yet again. Like I said, it's always pride and it's certainly always black history. So we going to be talking about this and talking with some more dope people very, very soon. Um, you can find us on most of the podcast platforms where podcasts live, um, Apple podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., etc. Um, we have a, uh, Instagram page, the chocolate bar podcast or chocolate bar podcast, um, which feeds into our Facebook page. Um, we are also on the Twitters, um, and that is a chalk bar podcast. If you are interested in that, it's just reposted most of the other stuff that we do. And the website is www.thechocolatebarpodcast.com. Sometimes we have merch, some may be coming soon. Stay tuned. Anyway, thank you again. Thank you, Angela. Um, thank you, and we will see you at the bar. Bye bye. Bye.